Amen. First John chapter four. First John chapter four is where we're going to start at. It's a good thing that song we know many of us by heart because it's a hard time finding those chorus books sometimes, right? Uh, appreciate the ensemble singing last night. Did y'all notice what I did? Got the twin towers on either side, and uh, your ladies in the middle. So, but really appreciate uh, uh, hearing the singing. The other day I was listening to um, the ensemble music from a couple years ago. Uh, Here is love. Woo, love that song, and what a great, um, what a great uh, job they did singing that. So, if you're still here, there's not many of you still here, are there? Uh, but wow, what a good song, and what a, a blessing. I, I, we put that on. Oh, it's still on a CD in my car, and turn it on repeat, and just over and over, here is love. So, Caitlin, right there, you're on that CD as well, right? So, And a few others, but I really appreciate that. Um, I want to preach today a topic that I'm not, uh, I don't know if I've ever preached on this before, but First John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse number 9, First John 4, verse number 9, then we're going to take from here, go to a couple of other passages as well, and then um, <clears throat> have a really interesting, to me, a really interesting topic that I uh, look forward to preaching to you. Um, Pastor Armacost last night preached about, uh, from the book of Philippians, and uh, he likes the book of Philippians. I do too. I personally really enjoy the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to not look necessarily at Ephesians, but uh, along these lines of Ephesus. And so let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. The love of God is what I want to preach about today. That's not my title, but I'll get to that. Because of that, God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So God sent His Son that we might live through Him. Uh, If you can't love God for that, I don't know what you can love anyone for. Verse number 10 then, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look also down at verse number 19. We love Him because He first loved us. One of the first Bible verses I taught my kids when they were real little and we had to split it up into a couple couple phrases. This verse, we love Him because... He first loved us. I want to preach a message that I've entitled, The Emptiness Without Love. The Emptiness Without Love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, God, for your great love for us. And Lord, uh, something that is impossible to understand, but we do appreciate it, and we do hopefully uh, show back to you our love because of your great love that you've given to us. Please help us today to respond to your love. And we thank you for that. Please be with the uh, Harvey family today, God. I pray that you'd be close to them and show them your love. May they sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. May they, may they trust you. May they have 
uh, reassurance that someday they'll see her again. And so, God, I pray that you just show us what your love means today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 that in the last days that the love of many will wax cold. The love of many will grow cold. Of course, if you light a candle, that candle wax, as it's hot, it's soft and it's pliable and you don't want to touch it because it's super hot and it'll run down the sides of the candle. And if you're like me, a few times you've had a candle on a cake and when you went to blow out the cake, that soft wax ended up on the cake itself. Right, that soft, it's, it's uh, pliable, but when it gets cold, when that wax gets cold, it becomes hard. And the idea there that the love of many shall grow cold, it just waxes cold and hard. And that's the last days, and I believe, I personally believe that we're in the last days, when the love of many has waxed cold. It's unreasonable, it's absolutely unreasonable how little love or affection even on the simplest level that some have for others and for God, for those who do kind things to them. All they think is themselves and they're not, they're not even thinking in any way, what can I do to be a blessing or how can I say thank you for the, for the love that was shown to me? So, so love has waxed cold. It's interesting, if you now turn to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and here's a passage, a letter, a short letter written to the city or the church of of Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. They receive a letter from one of their former pastors. The city of, I'm sorry, I keep calling it the city, but it's the church. The church of Ephesus had gone through a number of Really, really special pastors. Of course, their first pastor was the Apostle Paul. He established the church at Ephesus. He was there for three years. We know more about the church in Ephesus than any other church in the Bible. Seven of the New Testament letters were either written to or about the church at Ephesus, including, of course, one that has their name. Uh, A later pastor after Paul was Timothy and of course, First and Second Timothy were written probably while Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. First, Second, and Third John then were written by John, probably it's believed while he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So John was a pastor. So you got Paul, Timothy, John. Who who are some others who preached in the pulpit at Ephesus? You've got some pretty great preachers, Apollos. The Bible says, of course, that he had great wisdom in, in, in expositing the word. Um, of course, uh, there are other of Paul's helpers who preached at Ephesus also. I mean, this was a church that had gone through, had a, had a real rich history. Of course, the city of Ephesus itself was a, was a very influential city. We don't know exactly, of course, population, but I've heard uh, any, anywhere between a quarter million to a half a million people at the time that the Apostle Paul was here, somewhere around 52 to 55 A.D. Three years Paul spent in this city establishing this church. Paul was here at Ephesus longer than he was anywhere on any of his missionary journeys. He loved this church. 
In fact, when he was on, a, on the way back to Jerusalem, when he knew he was going to be bound at Jerusalem, he couldn't even go to Ephesus because he said, if I go there, everybody's going to want to see me and I won't have time to see everybody. So he called for just the Ephesian elders to come about 10 or 15 miles away from there and have a quick meeting with him. And the Bible tells us how they loved Paul. Paul loved this church. This was a good church. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and we see some things about this church. In verse number 2, I know thy works. And thy labor, by the way, one of their former pastors is writing this. And this isn't John's words. John is recording what Jesus said here in this passage. If you have a red letter edition of your Bible, you know that. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. This is a good church. This church is doing right. This church is standing, it seemed like, for all the things they'd always stood for. They didn't allow evil. And when they saw sin in the church, they dealt with it. But this, this church had patience. They, they had gone through persecution. The, the idea of patience is always a part of persecution or trials. This was a... The, the city of Ephesus had been, of course, was a wicked city. I was looking at some information about this, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was the Temple of Artemis. So I was curious, you know, how, what was it about this temple? What was so impressive? And it's not just the humongous pillars, four feet in diameter, and I don't remember, several hundred of them all the way around the temple. For comparison, our gym building, the entire building, is about 180 feet by 170 feet. And it's about 30 feet tall. The temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana of the Ephesians, was well over twice as big as our entire gym building. 425 feet long, and 60 feet high, and 225 feet wide. It was well over twice as big. I mean, it's a huge temple, and... Of course, if you go to Acts chapter 19, you know the story. Don't go there now, but in Acts chapter 19, you know the story of how these are idol-worshiping people. I mean, they love their temple. I can't imagine protesting, you know, chanting for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. I mean, these people love, they were proud of their temple. Don't you dare say anything about our temple. I mean, they, this was a, a place where they persecuted believers. Paul was almost killed there, you know. I mean, if he'd have gone into that synagogue, I mean, they were scared to death. They were going to kill him and, and his workers. This was a dangerous place for believers in Jesus Christ. And these people stood strong. This is a good church. Now, a long time has gone by. By the time John is writing this, it's probably around 90 AD. So 35 years has gone by. And you know what that means, right? It's a new generation a lot of the church has changed. There's a new generation coming along. And unfortunately, we come to verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. 
This church had been busy. This church had been sacrificial. This church had been understand, doctrinally minded in Ephesians. Boy, you see a lot of doctrine in Ephesians about salvation, right? I love Ephesians chapter 2. This church had been solid, but now there was something against them. And of course, it was the fact that they had left their first love. No, no, I, I've, I was looking up online and, and a few other places. A lot of people said they lost their first love as if they were walking down the road with love in their pocket and all of a sudden they realized it wasn't in their pocket anymore and they lost it. No, no, no. The Bible says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left. This is, a, this is maybe not purposeful, but it is an act that we do. We walk away from. Have you ever heard the stories of parents with their children? And they're in a big crowd. And that has happened to me a couple of times. Not bad, but whew, nothing is more scary than that. You're in a big crowd and a little kid. And all of a sudden, you realize that a child isn't hanging on to you. Or you're not holding on to them. You know, you should just. Like you do at Zoo Day, you tie them up. No, you don't do that at Zoo Day. But, but you have a rope, you know, where they can hang on to or something. All of a sudden, where are they, you know? Did they climb in the lion's pen or what happened to them, right? Well, that, that feeling or that idea that they walked away, they didn't mean to. They, didn't, they weren't looking to run away from dad and mom, but they left. And this idea that uh, we leave our first love, we walk away from our first love. And so Christ, first of all, Christ commends the, the Ephesians. They had done many good things, but they had left their first love. What Jesus wants us to have is a love. Listen, I don't, I don't understand parents who don't do everything they can. I don't mean here. I'm saying in the world. Parents who don't do everything they can to make sure that their children live a better life than what they lived. A better life. I mean, I, I don't know. I was 33 years old when my first son was born. So I, I waited a long time to get a son. <laughs> you sitting here. But 33 Man, if you'd have told me I was going to wait all those years, I don't know, you know, and I was sitting in college, that would have been hard to understand. But, but, but for me, man, I was, I was thrilled finally to have a son and then a daughter and then another daughter. And my third one is the, <clears throat> the, the one who needs a lot of attention and maintenance, you know. And, and then four, another daughter, four children. Boy, the love, and by the way, you'll never understand this until you have your own. And I'm not saying, anyway, you'll, you'll see someday. Man, the appreciation that I have for my parents is so great because of, the, you know, of me now. I have my own children realizing what they went through and the suffering, the turmoil and the, the concerns and the staying up late at night, I'm sure, and the worrying, what's going to happen uh, for a while, there was some, I mean, obviously all families go through this, but real problems in our family. And I can just, I remember just the few times I saw my mother weeping over my, one of my brothers. I mean, weeping. And I'm sure what I saw was just the least of it. Boy, the toil and the turmoil. Why? Because of love. 
Man, that love is just all-consuming. And that's what God has for us, and that's what we should reciprocate back to Him. Christ commended the Ephesians here, but listen, they had left their first love, and so secondly, He cautions them. Verse number 5, Jesus says this, the latter part of the verse, I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. Now, the candlestick in the context is the church. The church at Ephesus was going to get removed if they didn't return to their first love. There was no reason to have this church. God was going to take this Ephesian church and put it on the shelf if they didn't have love. Now, love for what? We'll discuss it, but... But the love was missing. Oh yeah, they were doing things still. The works were still there. I'm sure the outreach, the buildings, there was all kinds of things happening still. There was good people there, but they lost their love. Does it remind you right of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? In that passage, 12, 13, 14, the spiritual gifts. God gives spiritual gifts to the church and many, many gifts are represented here. I love watching your gift in action on Sundays and on whenever, but, but I love watching your gifts in action. Boy, you're working, and some of you have skills in these areas. If you don't, work on some. Find out something that you can do. And, and as you practice that gift, 1 Corinthians 13 it says, if you don't have love, if you don't have charity, then that gift is worthless. See, love is pretty important. It's very important. And if you don't have love in the church here at Ephesus, Jesus said, I'm going to come remove you. Now, I've not been to Ephesus. I'd like to go someday. But I understand from those that have been there that there's not a church there anymore. So obviously, at some point, God kept his word and removed that church. It's no longer there. He cautioned them about their need to have love. But listen, this isn't just the church. The candlestick is the church. And, uh, and that was removed. That was going to be removed at that point. But it's not just for a church. It's individually. Look at verse number 7. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. Individually, if your ear isn't in tune to God, And if you don't hear these things and practice these things, then he's going to remove you. You're a part of the church. He's going to remove you. And so we must all strive individually, individually to have and to practice love. Christ cautions them. Can I point out some things I think we can see from this passage and other places in Scripture? What happens when we lose our first love? What happens when love is not a part of our service, a part of our lives? Here's how some ways you can tell if you've lost your first love. You've become infatuated with knowledge instead of holiness. We've become comfortable with the holy instead of being in awe of the holy. I preached a while back on the idea of sacred. Listen, God is sacred the things of god are not to be treated common when the holy becomes commonplace instead of standing in awe do you think of god as as a in a special way do you think of god throughout your day or is god just 
you know, a spare tire? Is God just there when you need him? Is the Bible verse there so that you can quote it at a funeral? Or is it there to use day by day? Listen, when we lose our evangelistic zeal and thinking of others, I I remember a time as a teenager, I went through a real period of time where I was so concerned about people's souls. And sometimes I think now I'm not even, I'm busy. I've got a calendar full. I have a schedule full. And sometimes we use our calendar as an excuse why we can't, be evangelistic. Why we can't be thinking about souls and things that really matter. We lose our evangelistic zeal. We've grown cold. When we become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit convict you? I'm not saying right now. I'm saying does the Holy Spirit meet with you? And convict you? Does, uh, Does he stir your heart? about sin? Does he stir your heart about uh, your need to trust and to walk with Christ? Does he stir your heart on a day-by-day basis? If you don't, you've gotten cold. When we become content with where we are in our lives, instead of being driven, uh, Pastor Armacost talked, uh, mentioned, I think just recently, maybe a week or two ago, that every morning when he wakes up, He's thinking another day was gone yesterday. Another day was gone yesterday. And maybe that, I think that's something that happens when you get in middle age like I am. I, I realize I don't have my life. The, the, I'm halfway through or more than halfway through. When you start thinking like that, you start counting down your days. Well, I can't be content. I've got to be pushing and driving and going forward. When we begin to love something or someone more than the things of God, then our love is not where it should be. Our first love, we need to come back to that. Listen, I enjoy sports. I really do. If you know me, I enjoy sports. But the thing that drives me is not sports. And forget sports when when you realize how little that means in the big picture. Man, it just doesn't mean a whole lot. You know? Twice in my lifetime, since I've been old enough to remember, my St. Louis Cardinals have won the World Series. And all of you are saying, right? Whoop de doo. Big deal. The Cubs won in 2016. And I definitely say, whoop de Right? None of that real. I'm not, it's fun. It's exciting. It's especially fun to jab one another and get all each other going. But you know what the truth is? None of that really matters a whole lot. When I was 14, 15, I think it was, 14 or 15, I led my first soul to the Lord. Hannibal, Missouri. I've never forgotten that. I mean, I can't wait to meet this young person someday in heaven. I have no idea where they are now. But wow, that, that's fruit that lasts. And on and on. Listen, the things that really matter. What, what do you love? You say, well, I love, and you name your own thing. Well, you've got you to gotta change what you love. How do you change what you love? By putting time into it, by investing in it. When we care more what others think than what Jesus thinks, our love needs checked out. When Christ's blood becomes something that was shed just so I can safely ignore him. Did you get that? Then our love needs checked. When we're unwilling to be inconvenienced for Jesus. Man, I appreciate so much 
uh, church people helping out with our bus teenagers. Man, they're a handful sometimes, like yesterday. Man, th- but, but church people, and, and of course bus captains do, but church people, everybody's a part of this. And they grab, hey, can you come sit with me? I want to talk to you. I want to spend some time with you. Man, that's such a blessing. That's love. But when you're unwilling to be inconvenienced, you need your love checked out. When we're only willing to give as much of ourselves and our substance to Christ, only the bare minimum, then we need our love checked out. Listen, it's a dangerous thing to go through the motions of Christianity without a passionate love. I want to ask you, does your life seem satisfying? Does it seem fulfilling? Without the love of Christ, I believe it cannot feel satisfying. There's there's something missing. There's a darkness that's there. The songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Man, just wander away. You know, how, how is your life? Is it full of meaning? Well, I can't, I can't imagine any other life that has more meaning than for me than what I get to do. I get to have a wife. I get to have a family. I get to have a ministry and more than one ministry. I get to, I get to do things that really matter. And believe you me, there's times where I think just like you do, I don't know if this is working I don't know if this is worth it. Check back, check back, look back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is worth it. Look at this long term. Look at this eternity. Look at this eternal. Boy, I just, I love the fact that what I do, I get to count that for eternity's values. Love it. During these times of darkness in my life where I've thought, I wonder if this is worth it. I've wanted to blame God. For where I ended up. Jeremiah 2 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me? Did you get that? What iniquity did you find in me? God says this. Hey, did you find iniquity in me? God says. I mean, you walked away from me and you left me. I mean, did you see something imperfect in me? And of course, no, but. Any authority, any adult, any parent, you're going to see imperfections in them. You're going to look at them and you're going to say, yeah, they say this, but really there's, unfortunately in all of us, there's things we don't see. And I hope, you know, uh, that we're as honest when we see those things and they're revealed to us, we admit to it. And we say, yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's a mistake on my part. But God doesn't have those God has no imperfections. You can't ever look at him and say, yeah, he said he was going to do this, but he really did this, and so therefore I don't trust him anymore. Man, he's always perfect. I know that spiritual dullness results from my treating God uh, like a pigeon in a park. You throw a few breadcrumbs to him, leftovers, and see if he'll eat them. And how much you, right, you ever done that? Seagulls? Around here is seagulls. Uh, out in Gary, we used to meet for lunch at a, at a park, and always seagulls around. We feed, do you treat God like that? You just give him the leftovers? You just give him the extras? Hey, here's something to keep you happy. 
But other than that, I got my life to live. I got my plans to do. I got my things I want to do. I found out that when, when you have true love for your family and true love for the things of God, then you find yourself thinking about those things all the time. And it's not a drudge either. Right? It's not, it doesn't, it's not, oh, my kids need me again. Right? My dog needs me. No, the dog is fun, right? You enjoy it. And sometimes we like to tease the dog and pull the bone away from get him all right, get her all riled up and whatever. But ultimately, what is it? My love doesn't, it doesn't become a grudge and weigh me down. It's enjoyable. Our, serve, our ministry, when we're operating in love, works the same way. So let me give you these three points. Jesus counsels this church at Ephesus in three ways. First of all, look at verse number five. Remember, therefore. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you were. Boy, I remember Listen, I understand my, my background's different than most, but I've got some unbelievable, I, I, I think of it as Jesus moments. I've got some unbelievable moments in my past where I watched God real in our family. So I understand not everybody has that dramatic of an experience. But you all need, we all need a Jesus moment where we say, God did that for me. Not, not for anybody, for me. God did that for me, and I love him for it. Remember, this is not some great feat. This is not some big event. This is just simply going back and remembering. What did God do for you? Did God save you? Did God give his son to die for you? Is salvation real to you? Did you uh, stay up late? Or get up early to remember his goodness and his mercy. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. This is Asaph. Remember the story after he said, I almost quit. I was done. I checked out. And then I remembered God came and met with him and showed him what was real of real value. And he says, There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Asaph had a true love for God. I remember uh, as a little kid, I was about five or six years old. And uh, my dad was working for, I don't even, have no idea how he got this job, because we were mostly working on the farm. But he got a job working on this little old church that was just a few miles from our house. We were Amish. I was about six or seven, maybe five or six years old. And my dad took me with him to go to work on this church. And we're all by ourselves there. And uh, I wish I could do it here, but I, I don't know how to turn it on. But my dad took me over to the little old organ there in that church. And nobody was there to watch. He was an Amish guy. He wasn't supposed to do this. But he walked over and he turned it on and he hit a number of the organ keys. <laughs> Big sin. That was the first time, the first time that I ever heard music. 
ever. And I remember just saying, that was beautiful. Unbelievable. And then, uh, right about the time we were leaving the Amish, we realized that there was nothing wrong with music. And this, uh, this uh, lady who was leaving the Amish with us, she, while she was younger and in a great state of rebellion against the Amish rules, she had learned to play a harmonica. And so now she pulled it back out. I don't know if she'd been stashing it somewhere all these years, but she pulled it out and she played the harmonica and we sang some new songs that we had just learned. A harmonica. Music! Man, what? When I think of our music here at Fairhaven, wow, you know, Sometimes we take that for granted. All I'm saying is remember. Go back in your mind a little bit and say, what did God do for me? What did God do for me? And, and I can't help but be so thankful for those memories. Uh, when we left the Amish, we didn't have any, we call them English clothes. Y'all are all English. If you're not Amish, you're English. Doesn't matter what you are, you're English. So we had no English clothes. And so I have no idea where they came from. Maybe I should ask my mom where they... But people began to give us big bags of clothes. Now, it didn't have to match. It didn't match. It was just clothes. And I remember my brother, he found a brown pants and a brown shirt, wore those things together. We have a picture somewhere of of him in that. Uh, I had a pair of red pants with white threads on them. Sunday school, that was my Sunday school pants. Um, just, just the clothes, man. All fresh, all exciting, all new. They weren't fresh, but they smelled fresh probably. Oh, man. Remember, man, as I think about, about those times, I can't... We knew, believe me, I was very aware. I was seven years old. I was very aware that... Those clothes, we had always been told, were so wicked that they would take you to hell. You better never wear those clothes. And now Dad said, okay, here's the Bible says this, and we can wear these clothes, and it's not a sin. Man, I remember that, and I say, I love God for showing us the truth. Oh, those are simple things, but man, I'm so thankful for that. On Tuesday nights, the first two years or so after my family joined the Baptist church. We would have Bible studies near our house at one of the other people who had left also. We would have Bible studies. And our pastor taught us Bible verse songs. Man, oh man. I still remember most of them, but you know, you know 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Psalm 19, uh, 7 through 10 and verse 14, uh, Psalm 25, uh, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Psalm 48, 1 and 2, and Psalm 55, 17, and Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and Proverbs eleven thirty, and on and on and on. Matthew 6, 33. Man, we love singing those songs. We didn't know, we had no clue how to sing. I promise you we had no clue how to sing. But man, those are special times because we were learning the Bible. I remember the pastor getting up. He was talking about the job of a pastor. And he steps up on a chair and he'd stand there and he said, the pastor is the overseer of the flock. 
Man, those memories. I'm so thankful that God brought that person to us, for us. Listen, God is good, and he showed me as a little seven, eight-year-old boy there his love, and that just continued to bring me to the point of eventually salvation. Remember, remember, the, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Number two, repent, repent, and do the first works. Repent. It's a change of mind and a change of action. Listen, I'm not talking about a love that doesn't, doesn't come with action. Of course love comes with action. What, what if I said to my wife, you know, I'm going to write you love notes, but I have two other women I'm also writing love notes to. You say, well, that doesn't work. Of course not. <laughs> Repent and do. Listen, young people. Repent and do. The first works. Repentant love, true love for God and true love for His work brings a change of action. It's a change of motive, it's a change of intent, but it's a change of action. So, what do you do? You go back to the things you used to do. You say, Well, what did God first give me to do? The simplest thing is to tell others about Jesus. Just do that. We have all kinds of opportunities here at this church for you to practice that, to go out or to be in a Sunday school class and to get up. Why don't you just tell them what God did for you? Say, well, I don't have a big story. You don't need a big story. You trusted Jesus as your Savior. Your sins were forgiven. Tell them. Repent. Cry out for God's mercy in this case. I think the children or the people of Ephesus here, they, they saw their need to repent. Tell them you've grown cold. Just tell them. You have a high priest that's looking for you to come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Stop making excuses. Repent. Number three. Verse number five. Repent therefore from whence thou art and repent and do the first works. I call this return. Return back to where you used to be. Rekindle the flame. God calls us to return from whence we fell. I have a, a wood stove at my house now and uh, love that wood stove. But it dies down. So what do I have to do? Open that thing up and I blow on it. Fresh Oxygen, and of course, probably the bad breath, but still, fresh oxygen blowing in there, and it rekindles that flame, and what was just fading coals comes back to life, doesn't it? Listen, is your love fading? Is your love for God? Is your love for His people? I, I didn't read all of 1 John 4 because of time's sake, but if He loved us, we love Him because He first loved us, the whole passage is not just really about us and our love for God and his love for us. It really is about our love for one another. Because when God shows us his love and we show him our love, then our love to one another is reflected. And it works that way. Listen, what's your love like? Return. Rekindle that flame. We had a family in our church that many years ago that got saved 
and uh, they were they had been married, they had a man and wife, and they had two children, little children. They somehow, I think the the lady had already been saved, and the man was not, or something like that. And so uh, they got the other one got saved, and they had been split up. They were divorced, like literally, they'd gone through all the paperwork. They were divorced. Then one of them got saved and tried to rekindle that flame. And all of a sudden, they both got right with God. And lo and behold, they had another wedding. It wasn't quite as big, I'm sure, as the first one, but it was a wedding. They rekindled their love. They promised their love to one another till the day they die. Whew. You never saw a couple more in love. They were gross. You never saw a couple more in love than those people. What happened? <laughs> they almost lost it. That's what happened. They almost lost everything that they loved, everything that they wanted. And then they rekindled that love. And, oh, they were so thankful. I mean, it just, what's the word, emanated? It just came everywhere. Man, they were excited. They were always happy. Once you rekindle that love and let God work through you, <clears throat> song says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching. He loves you. Will you answer that love? Will you rekindle that love? Is your love for the things of God? Is your love for God? Is your, is your uh, day filled with thinking about Him? Man, I remember what it was like when I was dating. Man, I was always trying to write a note. Surprise. I was going to find a way to surprise her. I was going to find a way to get to town to pick up a chocolate or to go to the books. Whatever. I was always thinking of something. If my marriage gets stale... And cold, where do I go back to? I go back to those things again, don't I? Time to start writing some notes. Time to start dropping some surprises. Rekindle that flame. That's what you do with God. Rekindle that flame. Think about Him. Thank Him. Just for no reason at all, right? The Lord, a quick letter or a note or a poem. Say, well, that's weird. It's from your heart. It's from your heart. It's from your heart to God. He loves you. Will you reciprocate that love? How empty, how empty our life is without love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to look into your word today. God, I love your word. I love you. And I thank you for your kindness and your goodness to me. I pray that you'd help us today to rekindle that fading, dying embers of the love that we should have towards you. I pray that you continue to softly and tenderly call us to yourself. Thank you for that. Please bless this invitation time in Jesus' name I pray.